0: at a fairly good clip i think i'm sorry 24 23 i'm i was in 23 so long it just comes natural right it seems like we were in it for a year but we're in luke chapter 24 and 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 we're on the road to emmaus this is what this section we begin with this section as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the gospel of luke and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 13. Uh, this section really on the, the road to Emmaus uh, it really all, it goes all the way down to verse 43, but uh, we're going to break this up into at least two sections. So this morning we'll try to get to verse 27, and I know that's a, that's a big chunk to bite off, but uh, Lord willing, I think we can do it. So stand with me, we'll read a few verses, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, "Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and you have not known the things which happened there these days?" And he said to them, "What things? So they said to him, "The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people." And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your patient walk with people. Lord, to help us understand who you are, our need for you, Lord, how to live for you, Lord, uh, how, to, how to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, you're so kind and you're so gracious toward us, that, Lord, that you would give us your word Lord, that we might know you and that we might live for you. So, Lord, would you teach us this morning by your spirit and encourage us, we ask, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You all can be seated. You know, the, the most important reality in all the world is truth. And not just any truth. but god's truth that's that's the most important reality there is the the truth that forgives sin the uh, the truth that saves our souls that's man's greatest need is to know the truth about salvation is to know that we're separated from the father and that yet there is a way through the lord jesus christ to be reconciled back into a right relationship with the father The, the greatest need is to know forgiveness of our sin to know jesus christ and to know and to have eternal life that's the greatest and most important reality in all the world and if i were to ask you this morning where that truth is found what would you say to me where is that truth found where do we find the truth of forgiveness of sin in the bible in god's word don't we you, you can't find it anywhere else you can't find it just by looking at creation right we can we can see some of god's invisible attributes But we can't find the gospel just in looking out in the world or looking within ourselves. But yet God has revealed himself and he's revealed the truth of salvation to us in the Bible, in his word, that he, as he, you know, inspired human authors, human men to pin his word, his, his word of redemption to us that we might not grope in the darkness. Peter put it this way in Second Peter one three, he said that his divine power has given to us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So Peter says everything that we need to know about who this God is, how to have eternal life, how to how to be godly, how to be righteous, are found in the knowledge of Him, in His Word. And only those who, by God's grace, understand the Bible, can know this truth about salvation. And when we believe in that truth, it has a result. It it impacts our lives. It it changes us. Uh, We're no longer just people who are groping in the darkness, who have no purpose, who have no fulfillment, who... You know, or just grasping it, trying to figure out what life is all about. But the Word of God grips us. It, it changes. It transforms our minds and, and it helps us to live lives of purpose, lives of obedience and lives that are effective and lives that are filled with joy. As the Psalmist said, he said that in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And what he's talking about is the knowledge of of God, the knowledge of Christ, the, the hope of redemption, that in him, that's where joy is found. That's where purpose is found. Therefore, the greatest service that we can render to anyone is to give them the understanding of the Scriptures. And we are all, if you're a believer in Christ, we are all ambassadors of Christ. I like what R.C. Sproul says. He's, he's written a book recently, and he, he's titled it, Everyone's a Theologian. And we, we all are. We're either good ones or bad ones, right? But, but we're all theologians, and we're all, you know, the, the, the goal is to give people the, the truth, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of salvation, and the, the hope that comes with that to help them understand who Christ is and their need for them and we all have that opportunity to do that it's it's not just you know the the preachers job it's not just you know uh, the, the job in the pulpit to do that but we all do that we all have the opportunity to help people understand the scriptures their need for Christ who he is and how to live for him we have that opportunity in our homes don't we you know, if if you if you're you have children, you have that opportunity to, to uh, you know, the goal isn't to get them moms and dads to say the sinner's prayer, right? You won't find it in the Bible anyway. But your goal is not oh if you can just pray this prayer, everything's okay. Listen, it, it is a it is a lifelong goal as a parent, especially through the early years, the teenage years, to get them to see that they are sinners and that they need Christ. And we have the great privilege to do that. And, you know, uh, Paul talks about the fact that some of, us, some of us are called to sow seed, right? Some of us are called to water that seed. And, 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 and others, you know, but, but it's, the, you know, it's the Lord who does it all. Some, of, some people, some others reap the harvest. But it's the Lord who does all that work. Our job isn't to worry about closing the deal with our kids or with our neighbors or with our friends, we, we have the opportunity to preach the gospel to them too, don't we? To, to help people understand the, the, the knowledge of scriptures among our friends, our school friends, uh, those that we work with, our mission field, whether it's at home or whether it's abroad. We have the opportunity to help people understand the scriptures within our church. We have the opportunity within our growth groups, w- w- within our children's ministry, and, and this is nothing new for the children's ministry teachers. You know, our, our goal with the children is not to tell them nice little Bible stories, you know, about Daniel in the lion's den and, or Noah's ark and about all the animals and how cool that was. And the, the, the goal of all, of all of our teaching is to help the kids see Jesus Christ. And to help them see who they are in light of this holy God and how we're separated from them. It's always, with each lesson, it's always the story of redemption. It's The Bible's not a book of virtues. It's not a book of morals. That's not our goal. You, you remember the uh, producer of VeggieTales? I forgot what his name is. Phil something. but. He produced all those VeggieTale movies. Those are great. They're wonderful, wonderful movies. But but at the conclusion of the whole thing, he had this epiphany. And, and, And he realized that what he had done is he had made a bunch of really good videos that gave kids a lot of great morals, but it lacked the gospel. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't watch VeggieTales. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that here he understood that, and our children's ministry teachers, they understand that. It's not about, you know, creating a bunch of moral children. It's about pointing our children to Christ, or, or whoever we're trying to help them understand the Scriptures. And yet, it's sad to me that in too many churches today, they're not getting an understanding of the Word of God. It's not uncommon today to go to an average church or someone that calls themselves a church, and to hear messages that will simply entertain the people, I would call it. You know, I think I think too too oftentimes churches focus on trying to trying to be seeker friendly, trying to trying to reach those who don't know Christ. And trying to make it fun and exciting for them so that they'll want to come back. And what you end up doing is you end up entertaining the goats and starving the sheep. That's not the job of the church. I remember a few years ago going to a church service. And the worship team played Dolly Parton song, Working 9 to 5. Because that was going to be the theme of the message series the pastor was doing. It was on, you know, I forgot what it was, you know, five steps to being a more effective worker, something silly like that. And that was the theme song of, the, of each week that they did the service was, was going to be Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. So the worship team's up there, and the congregation's just going crazy. They loved it. They ate it up. Thought it was the greatest. You know, and I was reading a blog earlier this week, and it was, you know, should, should worship teams be doing, should we be doing secular songs on Sunday morning? I don't even understand why the blog has to be written. Why does that question have to be written? Jason's never come to any of the elders and said, hey, can we do this secular song on Sunday? And they were talking about... Uh, you know uh, going to and, and if i named some of these churches you would just be appalled these are these are big churches with big name preachers that you would think are pretty conservative pretty evangelical pretty orthodox in their beliefs but they were talking about at the end of the service they walked away and they could not get the song out of it they played sticks a song from sticks called come sail away and now i know i probably put that tune in your brain and and everything else but They thought, you know, listen, you got six days a week you can listen to, and I'm not here bemoaning, you know, uh, secular music. That's not my point. But people come. They come to church because something's driving them, and and, and the Holy Spirit's driving people to seek the truth. And we've got an opportunity, even through our, our songs. To teach a high view of God, to teach theology, to teach the truth about redemption and reconciliation with Christ. Six days a week, we can listen to the second week. You come in here, people need to be fed, they need to be ministered to, they need to be encouraged in their walks and in the word. They need an understanding of the scriptures. They don't need come sail away. They don't need working nine to five. They need Christ. Well, in our passage this morning, we have a wonderful illustration of how these two men that are we don't well say two men. I don't know if it was two men or a man or a woman. We don't know, it doesn't say. We know it was at least one man. On the road to Emmaus and they're going home and they're so discouraged. They're so sad. They're you know their their countenance has fallen and they're hopeless. And they don't, need, they don't need sticks, they don't need Dolly Parton. What they need is Christ to come along and open up the Scriptures for them, to give them hope, to give them some clarity, to give them understanding of the Word of God. And the result of that encounter with the Word of God is, is that it, 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 it takes them from the pit of despair to the heights of joy. That's their solution. That's what they need. That's the hope they need. But before Jesus joins them on the road, we first see them walking along, and they're very discouraged. It says in verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So Luke begins by telling us there were two of them. Two of whom? Well, that begs us to go back a little bit. If you could look up to verse 9, we find out two of whom they are it says that the women when they returned from the tomb you remember they had gone to the tomb they didn't expect the resurrection they had the burial spices they get there and the the stones rolled away jesus is not in there the body is gone and the angel you know the angels there they they, they declare to them that don't you remember what he what he told you that he must be delivered in the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they're like, yes, that was it. And they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb, verse 9, and told all those things to, 11, to the eleven, that is the eleven disciples. Remember, Judas is gone, he's dead. And to all the rest. So these are two of whom? Well, they're not two of the, they're not two of the apostles. They're not two of the eleven. They're two of all the rest all the rest of some of the followers of Christ that the women went back to to tell the fact that of what the angels had told them about Jesus having risen from the dead. So how did these two disciples respond to the report of the women? And for that fact, how did the rest of the apostles respond? Verse 11 tells us, It seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them see none of these folks had any expectation on Easter Sunday that Jesus was going to rise he had told them over and over and over again but yet they completely misunderstood who the Messiah was and what was what what had to take place with him they did not expect the death they did not expect the resurrection well It tells us here also, we find out what day they're traveling on and where they're headed. It says on the same day, which means that on that first Easter Sunday, first day that they had heard the women's report, and we're told in verse 13 that they're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile journey. Now, we don't know exactly where Emmaus is. All we know is it's seven miles from Jerusalem. So this would have been... Unless you're Bill shuer and you walk at a really fast pace and do everything really quick, this would have been about a two- to three-hour journey that they had taken, especially when they're discouraged, you're talking, and if they're two men, you can't talk and walk at the same time. It may have taken them four or five hours if they were two men. But it wasn't a fast journey. It was a slow journey. It's probably sometime in the afternoon on that Sunday They've heard the women's report about Jesus having risen, yet they don't believe it. They think these women are out of their mind. They're discouraged. And these—and it says in verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. You figure uh, these were Jewish travelers, and they had been to Jerusalem for the Passover right? They had probably been there. They may have been there for part of Palm Sunday festivities when, when Jesus walked in. He, he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. They may have been part of that entourage that was laying down the palm branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're the Messiah. We've been waiting for you to come and redeem us from Rome and set up your kingdom. And what a glorious kingdom it will be. And their hopes were high. And then all of a sudden, they get to Passover day and they're sacrificing their lambs. And and then they see Christ. They see their supposed Messiah, the one that they had put all their hope in. They see him crucified, betrayed by the chief priests and the elders. And they see him put in the tomb. And so their hopes are crushed. And so they've got no reason to stay in Jerusalem. So they start walking home. They're sad. They're confused. How could we have been so wrong about Jesus? We really thought he was the Messiah. And though it was only seven miles, it must have felt like 700. I mean, you you ever felt like that before where you were really confident that something was going to come through, this you, you really put high hopes that man this relationship was going to pan out. And then when it doesn't, crushed. Or you really had a high hopes you were going to get this job or this promotion and you were just sure you thought man it was it was it was in the bag. Or you studied hard for this test and you really thought you had your head around it and you were you were on top of it and you get in there and you bomb it. and you're crushed and you're, all your hopes and dreams just like with these two they've been buried three days earlier and their lives weren't turning out the way that they had imagined their expectations crushed and you have to imagine as they're walking on that road that long walk back that seven miles to Emmaus and uh, that they're thinking what are we going to do now all of our hopes all of our dreams all of our aspirations were, were in this man in, in this in, in Jesus We were anticipating this kingdom that we were going to be part of, and now we just got to go back home. How do you pick up the pieces? How do you start over again? And so, because of their misunderstanding of Scripture, because of their ignorance of the Word, misunderstanding of Scripture, ignorance of the Word, it breeds confusion, it breeds hopelessness and that's where they're at and so as they're uh, walking and talking the stranger just kind of overtakes them which wouldn't have been uncommon i mean everybody walked and people are you know it's a it's a busy little dirt road and but who is this stranger it says in verse 15 so while it was that they conversed and reasoned that jesus himself drew near and went with them What I find interesting about this is the fact that Jesus shows up and they're not shocked at all by his appearance, are they? I mean, they're not shocked. I mean, there's no, uh, he's not dazzling in this, you know, in this splendor of light like the angels that, that when, the, when the women went to the tomb, right? There's no, no blazing light. It's kind of like when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, I think, in John's gospel. You remember who she, who she thought he was? the gardener we've got a Jesus the gardener he's not Jesus the gardener but he's Jesus (laughs) he does great work but I mean it was kind of like just an average looking person I mean they wouldn't have they didn't know nothing dazzling nothing brilliant nothing you know it wasn't like he wasn't bedazzled with sparkle shines and all this kind of stuff and they don't even recognize him and there's no doubt that because they had their hopes in him, that they had seen him before. They probably heard him teach in the temple this, during Passover week. They had probably followed him and, uh, uh, heard him and, and, and met with him several times. So, so why is it then that they don't recognize him? It says in verse 15 that, they, that he comes up among them, but they don't recognize him. Is it because that he looked different in his resurrected, glorified body? Obviously, it was a different body. Is it because they didn't believe the resurrection that prevented him? So it was it a lack of faith that caused their eyes to be blind to who he really was? Well, verse 16 says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Luke Luke's point is that the restraint was passive on their part. It wasn't, it wasn't because of a lack of faith, it wasn't because that they didn't believe in the resurrection that they didn't see him. It wasn't because his his body looked differently, though I'm sure it may have looked differently. But the restraint wasn't wasn't a mental inability on their part. The restraint was a divine restraint. In other words, God restrained them from being able to recognize who he was. Because He wasn't ready to reveal himself to them. You see, he wanted them to be convinced about the truth of the resurrection, not by his appearance, but by the Scriptures. He wanted their faith to be founded on the sufficiency of Scripture and not on the mere sight of him. And so now, Jesus begins to ask them some questions to elicit uh, uh, their response. Notice what he says in verse 17. He said to them, guys, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What's going on, guys? You're sad. You're downcast. What were you guys talking about? Now, Does Jesus ask that question because he doesn't know what they're talking about or what they're thinking? What's that big theological word that tells us that God knows all things? Omniscient, right? It means all-knowing. Jesus, because he is God, knows all things. He knows before he even arrives that they're sad, that they're confused. I like what R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary. He said the resurrected Christ knew not only their geographical location, but he also knew the terrain of their souls. The omniscient Savior understood. He says the word omniscient sounds so cosmic and cold, but Jesus' knowledge of his followers is tender and it's personal. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 2 and 3. He says, you know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. So why then is he asking, if he knows all things, if he knows the terrain of their souls and he knows what's going on and what they're, the conversation is having, why then is he asking this question? It's not because he needs to know. It's because he wants to help them to, to see their need for further understanding that they misunderstand some things that they have some incomplete information so he wants to help them see their need for further understanding and i think how kind it is of the lord how kind it is of him that that he would he would he would graciously he graciously walks with us and and compassionately listens to us and he patiently grows us how kind it is of him to come alongside these two men from who lack understanding who are confused and sad and hopeless and doesn't he do that with his people that he comes alongside of us and he walks with us and he talks with us through his word and he ministers to us and he helps us and god's not in a hurry church if god was in a hurry he would save us and sanctify us immediately and why leave us here we might as well go on and be glorified right right But God's not in a hurry. And however long our lives last from the point of salvation, he's in this process of slowly conforming us, transforming us into the image of Christ, walking with us, talking with us through his word, patiently growing us, just as he did with these two men. So, this one fellow, who we have a name of Cleopas, he's shocked that this stranger, because he's still a stranger to him, he's shocked that, that he's clueless about what happens. Notice what it says in verse eighteen. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, "Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Where have you been, guy? I mean, these. I mean, this is kind of they're 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 just it's it's incredulous to him." Have you not known the things which happened there these days? What, did you have your head stuck in the sand? Where, did you not come outside? And then Jesus kind of just makes it worse for him. He says, what things are you talking about? And you gotta, they're probably going, oh, this guy is unbelievable. How can you be in Jerusalem with all this stuff going on and not, not know what's, what's taking place? so jesus says to him what things happened in jerusalem during these days and so cleopas now begins to tell the lord what i would call the bad news the reason for their hopelessness he says so they said to him the things concerning jesus of nazareth who was a prophet and he was mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. So this is Cleophas telling the Lord about why they're hopeless. We, we had all of our hope put in this man. He was a, he was, we believed he was a prophet. He was mighty indeed. We saw the miracles that he did. And only Messiah could have done that. Not only was he mighty indeed, but no man spoke like this man. He was mighty in word. And, and then All of our hopes, expectations set on this man in verse 20 and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. He made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He turned over tables and he showed with great demonstration of power and with word that he was Messiah and then all of a sudden he gets himself killed. We were hoping, verse 21, that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Our hopes were set on Him, that He was going to free us from the Roman oppression, and that He was going to establish a kingdom, and He was going to restore Israel to its former glory that we'd had since the days of David and Solomon. That we were going to have the kingdom back and our influence back. They were looking for a physical Messiah. We were hoping he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these happened. We were hoping, but then he goes and gets himself killed, and it's been three days since he was crucified. And they're not. this isn't some type of connection here to the fact that it's been three days since, he was, since this has happened. This isn't them saying, we, when we were expecting after he died, three days later he's going to be resurrected. Because notice what they say next. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. They astonished us with what? When they did not find his body. that astonished. They weren't expecting the resurrection. There, there was no connection here. They're just simply saying, it's kind of like what the, what the women said to Jesus about uh, Lazarus. It's been four days since he's been in that tomb. In other words, he's been dead a long time. we didn't find his body they came saying that he had that they had seen a vision of angels and he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and we found it just as the women said it was empty but him we did not see the tomb was empty but we don't know where the body was we don't know what happened to him they're not expecting any type of resurrection they weren't expecting the death they weren't expecting the resurrection that's not the messiah they're looking for They're looking for the one who was going to go into Jerusalem and he was going to unseat the Roman authorities there and ultimately unseat Caesar himself. So the tomb is empty, they say, but if he's resurrected, where is he? Where is our Messiah? And Cleopas, he lets it all out. His confusion, his doubts, his depression, his hopelessness. And how did Jesus respond? Does he say, you guys are just idiots? He doesn't do that. The Lord's not like that. Did he say, you guys are hopeless. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go walk with somebody else. You guys are a bummer. You guys are just depressing to hang out with. No. They pour it all out. They pour out their souls. The reason for their hopelessness, the reason for their confusion. And he continues to walk with them. And to help them with their confusion. And it's not that they didn't believe in Scripture. I don't want you to misunderstand this. They believed in Scripture. But they misunderstood parts of it. And so Jesus takes time to help them understand that. And by understanding what the Scripture says about him, because, you see, here's the part that they lacked. And we're going to stop, because I'm just going to I'm just briefly give you where we're going to go next week. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the things the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ... To have suffered these things and then enter into glory. What did they not understand about the Messiah? What did they, what did they, what what went over their heads as they read the Old Testament? The suffering of Christ. They they were, they, they saw all the scripture about the crown, didn't they? They all, they saw all the scripture about the kingdom. But they missed all the scripture about the suffering. And about the cross. And Jesus is going to patiently walk them through the Old Testament to help them understand what it says about his the need of for the, the, the Messiah had to suffer before he entered his glory. The, the cross had to come before the crown. And what that's going to result in is great joy in their hearts when they understand the truth of the gospel of jesus christ which is what our goal is as ambassadors of christ is to help people understand the scriptures to help them understand who christ is and why he had to suffer on behalf of sinners and we'll stop there because there's no way i can get into the next section without keeping you here till 12 o'clock and that would be a long walk to Emmaus, wouldn't it? So let's stand and go out with prayer. Father, we are grateful, Lord, just to see your nature, your character at work in the lives of people, Lord. These two folks, on two fellows on the road to Emmaus. Lord, as they are walking and are sad and discouraged and all their hopes and dreams have been dashed because they had a wrong understanding of Scripture, had a wrong understanding of you. Lord, first we want to thank you that you and your kindness would open our eyes to the truth of your word. that you, by your Spirit, cause us to see that you're a holy God and we are an unholy people and that we have sinned against you and that sin has separated us from you. But yet in Christ, you have reconciled us to the Father, to those who believe in you. So, Lord, we thank you for giving us an understanding of that and opening our eyes and given us the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sin hope and purpose in this life to live for your glory but lord we also thank you for the privilege that we have to be ambassadors for you to help others understand the truth of scripture to help them understand their need for you and how to live for you and lord may that be our singular focus that it's more important than anything else in this life is to be those ambassadors that help others to understand your word. Lord, at whatever level of maturity that we're at, that we would be faithful. Lord, that's what you require of your servants, is to be faithful. So, Lord, help us to do that, that people might come to the knowledge of who you are, and that, Lord, that you'd be glorified in that, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so you know where we're going, so read ahead, okay?